Chapter 18 of The Red Cross Girls on the French Firing Line. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. The Red Cross Girls on the French Firing Line by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 18 Out of the Depth. All one night, Eugenia feared that Captain Castaigne would die. This was the fourteenth night after the beginning of his fever and a crisis in the disease. So for twenty-four hours she did not have one half-hour of uninterrupted sleep. It was not because the young man needed her constant care, for indeed he was never conscious of her existence. When he called, it was always to ask for someone else, and yet it was always Eugenia who answered. Then, for a little while at least, the patient would seem to be satisfied. But if at their first accidental meeting in Paris the four American Red Cross girls had considered Captain Castaigne absurdly young for his captain's commission, what must they have thought of him now? To Eugenia he appeared like a boy of sixteen. It is true that he had a tiny dark mustache, but except for this his face remained smooth. Then his nurse had been compelled to cut off all his dark hair in order to cool his head, and his slender body had become wasted and his eyes sunken. Indeed, the features, which Eugenia had once considered too perfect for a man's, now frequently made her think of a delicate cameo when he lay with his face in profile against the pure white of his pillow. Watching him on this night which she feared might be his last, Eugenia felt unusually moved. After all, he must have been a brave and capable fellow to have received his present rank in the French army while still so young. Moreover, there was a possibility that Captain Castaigne had more force of character than she had ever given him credit for. Had he not rebelled against his mother's idea of rank and dignity, and in spite of his devotion to her, refused to keep his title in a country which was now a republic? Of course, Eugenia could not believe that the young man really had the true democratic spirit in which she so thoroughly trusted. Still, there was a chance that he might not be so futile a character as she had first supposed. Leaning over to wipe her patient's face with a damp cloth, Eugenia made up her mind to one thing. If Captain Castaigne died, she would go at once to the German colonel in command of the French village and confess what she had done. Of necessity, she must be punished for her falsehood and treachery, but surely she would be permitted to send for the Countess M. Lee at the last. The young French officer could be of no interest to his enemies after his death. But where the countess could be hiding, nor whom she could find to send for her, Eugenia had not the faintest idea. For these past two weeks she had been so entirely shut away from the outside world. Except for her one visit to the German colonel, she had never left 
the little house with the blue front door since the night she first brought her patient into it. Nor had Eugenia received a single line from any one of the other three Red Cross girls to afford her the faintest idea of what could have become of them. But she did not worry so much as she might have done at a time when she was less occupied. Besides, naturally she believed that the three girls were with the French Field Hospital at some point back of the line of the French Army's retreat. Toward dawn, Eugenia knew that the hour of greatest danger to her patient would arrive. For it is an acknowledged scientific fact that life is at its lowest ebb with the rising and the setting of the sun. Therefore, just before this time, Eugenia left her patient's bedside and went into the room adjoining, which she used for her own needs. There she washed her face and hands in cold water, and letting down her heavy hair, plaited it in two braids. She was very tired, and yet must prepare herself to meet the coming hour with all the strength and wisdom she could muster. Even as she made her toilette, she was aware of the feverish muttering of the young officer. His stupor had passed several days before, but since his nurse could not decide whether his weak restlessness and almost incessant crying out were not worse symptoms, certainly they were more trying upon her nerves. Ma mère, ma mère, he was repeating his mother's name over and over again, as if he must see her again before his spirit could leave his body. Eugenia slipped back and for the hundredth time laid her hand gently on the young fellow's brow. Somehow he must be quieted, comforted into thinking his mother near him. Then if he never returned to consciousness, he would pass out of the world's alarms with a sense of her presence. Do you recall that Barbara Mead had discovered a wonderful healing quality in the touch of Eugenia's hands? It is true that a few people have this vital, health-giving quality in their hands, which is not true of others. Anyhow, Eugenia's patient grew quieter, although he still murmured a broken word now and then. He was strangely pathetic, because however much he might move his arms and the upper part of his body, his legs remained lifeless. For now and then, when he had endeavored to change his position, the pain had been so great as to pierce through his stupor. Malfis, Malfis, Eugenia whispered several times. It was all the French she dared permit herself to speak, and yet the simple words, my son, even spoken by a New England old maid, carried their magic. Yet Eugenia was looking little like an old maid as she leaned over the French boy, and he was scarcely more than a boy. She wore the violet wrapper, and as she kneeled, her long dark braids of hair lay upon the floor. She too had grown thin and white from her two weeks' vigil of nursing, cooking, taking entire charge of her patient, herself, and the little house. Nevertheless, Eugenia's face had for some reason softened, perhaps because she was too weary and too selfless in her devotion to her patient to feel superior to any earthly thing, 
At this moment her eyes were both sad and hopeful, while her lashes looked longer and darker than usual against the pallor of her cheeks. Finally, Captain Castaigne moved away from the soft pressure of his nurse's hands. As he moved with more strength than Eugenia believed him to possess, for the next instant she watched him even more closely. He was muttering a number of confused phrases, now and then what sounded like a command to his soldiers. Then, all at once, he stopped and laughed a little foolishly. Eugenia Peabody. He pronounced the words distinctly, although with a French accent, which made the name more attractive than it had ever been before. Eugenie Peabod was the way it sounded to its possessor. Eugenia stared more closely. Could Captain Castaigne know her once again? Since the first night after his injury, he never seemed to have been aware of her identity. A further glance into his eyes showed this was not true. There was no sign of intelligence there, only vagueness and a confused groping in the dark. Mademoiselle Peybaud, she is what you call in English, an old maid. Then the young officer laughed boyishly, as if he and a friend had been discussing a new acquaintance and found the subject amusing. Eugenia flushed. It was absurd, but for the moment she felt hurt and angry. Few of us like to be the subject of a joke, and Eugenia was not gifted with much sense of humor. But a little later she had the grace to be ashamed of herself. However she might dislike the young Frenchman, whom she had been nursing so faithfully, she must remember that he had unfailing good manners. Their one unfortunate meeting had been due to a mistake on his part. Afterwards, he had done all he could to make amends. Certainly, he would be the last person to be rude to her under the present circumstances if he had known what he was saying. Moreover, the minute after, he continued talking at random upon subjects which had no possible connection. Soon after, glancing at her watch, Eugenia got up and crossed the room. The next instant she returned in order to take her patient's temperature. His fever was not so high, but then his pulse and heart seemed to be growing dangerously weaker. Giving him the necessary stimulant, she again stood by his bedside, watching and waiting. Captain Castaigne was no longer talking in his delirium. He had grown quieter and was staring, yet with an unseeing expression, at the ceiling overhead. At this moment Eugenia discovered that the dawn had come at last. A shaft of yellow light had entered the high window and shone across the wounded officer's face. It gave him such a curiously transfigured look that for an instant Eugenia was frightened. But the next, realizing what had occurred, she walked across to the window and stood looking out at the country. The morning wind blew across her face. The dawn was a cold December one, and yet the air was grateful. A little later, Duke came and thrust his great head into Eugenia's hand. Until this moment, he had not left his place by his master's bedside since twilight the day before. But now he too seemed to feel that there was nothing more love or vigilance could do. 
one must simply wait. The landscape was particularly lovely this morning, Eugenia thought. A white frost lay upon the meadows and trees like a veil, and one could not see the devastation that the recent fighting must have brought upon the countryside. Eugenia had the right to feel rather like a prisoner, and yet she was not at this time conscious of herself. She was wondering how the Countess Amelie could live when she learned that her only son had fallen a victim to the enemy who had despoiled her land and captured her home. She was an old woman, and this would be too full a measure of sorrow. How long Eugenia stood at the window she did not know. It could scarcely have been more than a few moments, yet when she turned around she was not aware of what had influenced her. Perhaps it was Duke's desertion, for once more he had marched over to his master's side. Here he stood sentinel, with his eyes fixed on the young captain's face. He no longer crouched upon the floor, as he had been doing for the past twelve hours. Straight away Eugenia experienced a sudden rushing of warm blood to her own cheeks, and a flooding sense of happiness and warmth for captain castaigne was looking at her gravely yet with entire recognition i have come back to fight once more for france because of you he whispered then in spite of his exhaustion he tried gallantly to lift eugenia's fingers to his lips but finding himself too weak he simply lay still and smiled at her utterly ridiculous in a self-possessed person like Eugenia, but because she felt a sudden overpowering inclination to burst into tears of relief at her patient's safety, she frowned upon him sternly instead. "'You are not to stir or speak until I return,' she announced severely, and then deliberately left the room." Of course, she intended to get some simple nourishment for the young officer at once, but this was not the important reason for her withdrawal. Certainly Eugenia did not so far intend to forget her dignity as a nurse as to show emotion. At about noon on the same day, Eugenia was cheerfully working downstairs in the little French kitchen, while Captain Castaigne was sleeping quietly upstairs, with the door open so that she could hear his faintest move. For the kitchen had to be seriously considered. The supply of food necessary for an invalid was growing dangerously low in their larder, and for the next few weeks the wounded soldier must have proper nutriment. After an hour's investigation, Eugenia decided that she must go to the village and see what could be done. It would be difficult to leave her patient alone, but his life was no longer in danger. Time would bring healing, if nothing of an unexpected nature occurred. Then Eugenia heard a gentle tapping at her kitchen door. It was much the same noise that Francois had been accustomed to make on his daily visits with supplies from the chateau. For a moment, Eugenia hoped that Francois might have come unexpectedly to their aid. But on opening the door, she found a wholly unexpected visitor. A young girl of about sixteen stood outside. At first, Eugenia did not recognize her. 
then she saw that she wore a torn skirt and a little scarlet cap and that she was singularly pretty and graceful like a flash a picture came before her it was the figure of a little girl dancing before a group of french soldiers what was the name barbara had afterwards called her the name of some character in an old french romance nicolette eugenia said suddenly and drawing the girl inside the little kitchen she carefully closed the outside door End of chapter eighteen